Hey guys, Aaron here, and on today's episode of The Aaron White Show, I interview Drew and Sarah from the Look Mum, I'm Hustling podcast. We talk NFTs. I didn't even know what one was, but do now. And they also, they buy stuff from op shops and sell on eBay and make an awesome profit out of it. So let's learn how they do that. And yeah, it's just an awesome chat. All right, enjoy the show. See ya. All right, that's recording. Quick word from the sponsors. FIFO number two, how a drug dealer became a FIFO worker. And FIFO number one, what really happens after the plane takes off, both available at Aaron Weston Author Instagram account and Facebook and under The Aaron White Show on TikTok. Hilarious novels, check them out. For the kids, under Children's Books by Aaron White on Facebook. Your Australian Mining Machines, Australian Surf Lifesavers, Australian Defence Force Machines, Australian Paramedics, Australian Firefighters, Australian Police Vehicles, Mining Machines Colouring In Book. Check them all out on Children's Books by Aaron White on Facebook. And if you guys are watching this on YouTube, feel free to subscribe to mine and also to our guests when I tell you later on who they are. Subscribe to their YouTube channel as well. And yeah, let's do the intro. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Aaron White Show. Today we have two fantastic guests. We've got Drew, Drew and Sarah from the Look Mum, We're Hustling podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for having us, Aaron. Great to be here. Yeah, super excited to have a chat with you. Ah, sweet as. Hey, let's jump into it. Um, I just want to hear your story, like how we grew up and your life-changing events and how you end up doing what you're doing today. Awesome. Yeah, so we'll start off by telling who we are. So my name's Drew. This is my girlfriend, Sarah. We've been together for a little over five years now. It has, yeah. And we run a bunch of stuff on social media about our lives and what we do around our hustle. So we have a podcast, like you said, called Look When I'm Hustling which we release every week. And it's sort of just a, a weekly chat about all things, hustling, small business, side hustles, entertainment, book reviews, a bit of everything, just stuff we generally enjoy, enjoy personally. We like to chat about every week. Yeah, hundred percent. Like the podcast is sort of like our pet project at the moment. Yeah. It's everything that we can't put on our social media or under at it's Drew and Sarah handle. Cause that's more of the primo stuff or more behind the scenes. But the podcast is like just pretty much we get to nerd out yeah. really, which is always the fun part. And like Sarah said, we have a second channel, which is our sort of, I guess you'd call it a vlogging channel. It's called mm -hmm. It's Drew and Sarah. And on that we do like thrifting adventures, going to garage sales and markets and thrift stores, buying things at a cheap price and flipping them for profit. So that's what we do on the side. Um, and I guess we'll go into who, like where we grew up and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. We're both 33. Well, Sarah turns 33 tomorrow on her birthday. I do. <laughs> um, and I grew up in Wollongong, sort of in the surfy sort of culture. Not too much of a, an exciting childhood, just typical, you know, Aussie bloke going to the beach, going to the pub a couple of times a week, that sort of thing. Um, I did a university degree about nutrition, which is another little side thing that I do on the side. Um, and that's pretty much it. I haven't had any too many life-changing events yet, but... You know, we have our bucket list of all the exciting things we want to accomplish before we get too old. What yeah. about you, Sarah? Yeah, 100%. So in my childhood, I grew up in Bendigo, Victoria, moved up to Sydney with my teen years, with my immediate family, and pretty much was pretty, pretty standard teen days. So, you know, high school, I did uni for about two years and didn't really enjoy it. So I stopped going to uni and then went into my retail job full time and moved my way up the ladder. So I'm a sales manager at my retail job, which I really enjoy. Um, I train and coach staff, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until I met Drew that I think like when I met Drew was when things really started to change. Like mm -hmm. we decided to, like we had our separate things going on, but then we decided to really 
get together combine forces exactly yeah. yeah so you know make make videos and just put out content that we're really really interested in um but yeah i'd say meeting drew is a life-changing event for myself <laughs> <laughs> it's very sweet i guess the way i guess how we ended up to where we are is mm -hmm. like you said we we had met and i was doing my own small nutrition con consultancy stuff on the side and i wasn't really truly passionate about it I didn't really wake up ambitious and thriving and wanting to like go after it every day. So I thought, let's, what can we do together? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we found a bunch of other people that were starting their own small businesses and side hustles, selling things online, books, DVDs, video games, clothing. Um, and it's sort of been a whirlwind since then. And I guess where we are now, five years later is all we do is think about new side hustles and hustles and trying to escape the rat race of the nine to five. And I guess establish our own, our own life on our own terms and, and just have complete freedom and control over what we do, which is sort of what we make videos about and have podcast discussions about It's sort of, it's all, uh, moving towards, you know, when we're 40 or 50, we can sit back and just truly do the things that we love and hopefully make a living off it. Yeah, hundred percent. And when we first started flipping or doing the reselling, it was literally just like a part-time job for us. Like mm. we we're doing it initially to clear out our own items. So we just wanted to minimalize everything. Um, but we started reading more like financial books. So like Barefoot Investor really helped us look at our money in a different way and realizing what we can do with the resources that we have to get us to the next level. And then yeah, flipping was just one of those easy sort of yeah. segue. It was like a catalyst moment where it changed our whole mindset of uh, how to make money and how to run your own life, essentially. Yeah, yeah started, all started with flipping. Yeah, and you know, with that initial, like it helped us save and go overseas, like three years ago, which mm -hmm. was awesome. Um, and it just, yeah, really set us up for the spot that we're in now. And you're you're full time doing it now. Full time, yep, selling mm. stuff on eBay and online. It's very very interesting life compared to what we're doing working at retail stores. But yeah, that's sort of a, a catch up on who we are and, and what we do. Hmm. Oh, sweet, yeah. As, as you're talking, I was jotting down questions, but you've actually ticked yeah. off quite a few of the questions. So like, damn, I was going to ask that. <laughs> we can always we go. Can, we go. can drive a bit deeper on anything for sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so when did you start, Drew? When did you start going full-time flipping, did you say? Um, so we sort of started making YouTube videos about the same time that we started flipping like, as a side hustle. Just mm -hmm. All that stuff was stored in one little cupboard. That was about three years ago. And I went full-time uh, February this year. So sort of worked up the courage um, and the finances to be able to do that and, and worked out a, a strategic plan. And then was sort of all, everything was running smooth and nice progression and daily growth until sort of being locked down for a couple of months. So it's been an interesting sort of six to nine month period um, taking the leap to go full time and then encountering a lot of these huge struggles in terms of COVID and being locked down and affecting the store. So it's been a huge learning experience so early on in my, I guess, solopreneur solopreneur yeah. um journey yeah it's been been interesting a lot of struggles but uh we've learned a lot of lessons in the last six months for sure how do you know what to buy uh it all comes down to research putting putting time in to learn different categories so you can sort of spend time researching ebay before you go and buy things or you can a lot of people will start off in a category they love so for example people that like collecting video games will start off there and learn how to sell things Things like that that have barcodes, you can easily scan within the eBay app and it will actually tell you what they're listed for and then how much they've sold for in the past. So that's what they call comps or getting like a comparison um, price to work off. So that's what we do a lot of the time. If we buy a, 
Star Wars shirt that has Darth Maul on the front. You can just search in Star Wars Darth Maul shirt, sort of see if there's anything remotely similar um, that has sold before. And that's how you sort of gauge the pricing on those items. So it's all about sort of doing your, doing your research essentially. And then mm -hmm. over time you start just acquiring knowledge by osmosis and just learning things here and there of other people that are making videos or putting out Instagram posts. It's sort of like a community effort. Everyone's helping each other grow and learning new categories and stuff, but it's every day you're learning about something new. You might go to a store and see something and then do a quick two minute search and like, well, this is a $5 item that I can sell for 70. Um, and then you just buy it and then have your fingers crossed that it sells fast for you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we're mainly clothing resale as well. Like yeah. we started off just like trying to do like DVDs, books, books. just yeah. that sort of easy stuff to sort of segue into. And then it wasn't until we found out some other resellers or people in the community started talking about clothing, mm -hmm. jeans, shirts, like particular brands that resell at a higher value. Yeah. And it wasn't until we started watching those videos and then actually just being out there in real time and having a look and then... Yeah, it's pretty much with the time and the resources available with the other people in the community just really helped us get to that next stage on our knowledge on what to pick up and what not to. Yeah. And again, we still pick up things that we shouldn't um, or there's some things that we accidentally pick up that aren't real or they could be like a bootleg version. Like it still happens, yeah. but it's more about, I guess, just making those conscious decisions and whether, you know, to keep it or leave it. It just comes down to cost of goods and yeah. how much we pay for it. Yeah, it, it just depends on the research. You make your money on the buy. So if you put your time in spending a few minutes researching an item before you pay for it to ensure that you have a good chance of selling it, that's the best way of going about it as opposed to, oh, this is kind of cool. I'll just pick it up and then hopefully it sells. But eBay is a data game. It's all numbers. You can, you can type in a search term like Levi jeans, for example, see exactly how many are selling per year, how many don't sell per year, then you can work out, oh, okay, the more sell than don't sell. So if you buy a Levi jean, for, for example, um, you have a better chance of selling it than not. Um, it's all just comes down to data and just doing research, spending mm -hmm. the time in the app and figuring out all the little nooks and crannies and how to get uh, you know a nice little profit on those items. Yeah, and I really like doing clothes as well because we're big believers in trying to minimize fast fashion. Yeah. And I really enjoy that we're finding items that we might not necessarily wear. Like I, I do shop a lot of the times when we go off shopping, yeah. but it's more of the just recycling these existing clothes that are still in really, really good quality that are just going to sit in an op shop for ages. Yeah. So we're putting it out there for someone else to see and just yeah, minimalizing that fast fashion aspect and just recycling these old clothes that mm. are still really, really good. People will pay very, very good money for some vintage clothing. You can sell vintage t-shirts for a hundred up to three or $4,000 if you find the right one. Mm -hmm. um, there's a market for most things. Um, you just got to find one that you sort of have a passion in that you can squeeze your business into and then yeah, it just goes from there. But it's been a three-year journey and we've got a long way to go. <laughs> Still a yeah. long way. <laughs> Is it hard to find like what's bootleg and what's real? Um, over time, as, as, again, it's one of those things where you just slowly, day by day, you don't realize you're accumulating information. And then six months later, you're like, oh, I, straight away, I know this is a, a pair of fake jeans or something. A lot of the brands that we pick up now, we have a very, very... Um, What's the word? We have a good idea if it's going to be fake or not based on identifiers. You can just jump on Google and type in how to identify fake Levi jeans or fake yeah. um, true religion jeans and that sort of thing. There's plenty of resources online. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you sort of just learn over time, different tags, what the stitching is like on them. Um, there's yeah, so, so much you can go into to determine that. But 
I'd say bootleg t-shirts are a little bit harder to identify mm-hmm. uh, all the other stuff like jeans and jackets that have a lot of embroidery or stitching or a lot, lot more detail you can sort of use four or five identifiers to determine if it's a bootleg if it's a shirt you really just have the graphic to go off yeah um so yeah that's that's a quick way of doing it yeah the jeans are so much easier because it could be a button could be wrong spelling could be wrong a zipper this yeah. like you said the stitching just could be slightly off and it's yeah throughout time so if you put like a and i never even thought about this but probably at the beginning of the year i was picking up a pair of levi jeans and i was like oh i know these are fake and, and then it was that moment all of a sudden be like i just recognize these were fake straight away yeah Yeah, and just put it back so it's just from over time yeah the shirts are always really interesting because even if though they might be bootleg if they're vintage they'll still sell they'll still sell because people even like things like a lot stuff that's popular right now is wrap t-shirts so like anything from the early 2000s m&m 50 cent even though they used to make so many fake t-shirts at the local sunday markets and stuff those will still sell for good money now even though they are bootleg they're still considered vintage so there is like a, there's a little hole in the market you can sort of squeeze into. Yeah. So you might not be able to pay top dollar for the original, but you can pay half the price for something that's quite it's similar. Just older item. Yeah. yeah. What sizes do you normally try to go for? Um, for men. So the vintage, I, I enjoy vintage t-shirts. So anything with band shirts or movie promos, they're the ones that I enjoy. So that's what we try to get. And also the guys that are buying them are generally larger guys. So large and XL ideally. Um, but if we find a small or a medium, we'll always pick it up if it's a really cool graphic because there are women out there as well mm-hmm. that like their vintage shirts and stuff. Um, so if, really, if the graphic's awesome and we know it's like a good quality tag, mm-hmm. even if it's got holes in the armpits, if the graphic's amazing, we'll still buy it and still sell it for sure. Yeah. But a- any size really. Yeah, yeah, the large ones tend to move faster. They just, yeah, they move a lot quicker than the smaller ones. But like you said, if, it, if it's cool enough and we like it, we'll tend to pick it up because it's just that little bit of enjoyment of like, oh, this is mad. We've got this in our collection now. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess if, so what size are you, Drew? Are you a large? Uh, I'm a large, but it also depends on the brand on the, yeah. on the tag and also depends on how old it is. So you can find seventies and early eighties vintage shirts that are XL, but because the body shape was so different back then before McDonald's and everyone's, <laughs> you know, supersized and everything like that, the, the sizing is different between decades as well. Um, so we, I just go off measurement. So the way people will sell their shirts is they'll just do inches from pit to pit and the length. So if you just know your ideal measurements, um, you just look for those as opposed to a large or an XL. You're just looking for your measurements. Um, yeah. But it, it really, every brand's different. Even if you go into Kmart or Big W, every mm-hmm. brand still has variations between sizes. Yeah. Um, but anything LXL, I can't fit any mediums anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and the same goes for women's clothes. Tend to buy, and with women's, you can get the range from like small to large and they will tend to all sell to begin with um but it especially with women's clothes it depends sort of what's in style what's in fashion if anything is slackling through again so like early 2000s fashion is really popular right now they call it y2k fashion um so anything that i used to wear like in high school it seems to be popular now so it's also based off especially with women's clothing with style um yeah fashion cycles like the material it's made out of as well i yeah. feel like they're a little and bit more conscious. just to clarify if people are listening and not too familiar with like clothing outside of just going to your your general mall um yeah 2000 stuff is really hot and like you said it works fashion cycles around every 20 to 30 years and mm-hmm. i think we're in a unique place where we're in our early 30s and the stuff we thought was really cool more 13 is now popular again mm-hmm. so we have a distinct sort of advantage in terms of we we know what was popular then we sort of have an eye for like what's becoming popular now and we can 
see the correlation between the two and then capitalize on that and buy items that we know are going to be in trend for the next three to four to five years. Um, so yeah, we're in a unique position as opposed to being a bit older or 40 or 50 and sort of losing touch with the current fashion trend. We've only got 10 years before we're out of touch, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to keep up with the TikToks and the Instagrams yeah. to stay in tune. <laughs> hey, you guys on TikTok? Uh, we do a little bit of stuff. We sort of just try and cut up our bigger videos and podcasts and just make little clips of the interesting parts, mm -hmm. but definitely want to spend more time just trying to create original content on there and just have fun with it. Like, I don't know if I'll be dancing or doing any singing along anytime <laughs> soon. What about you? Are you on there, mate? Yeah. Like normally what I do is I do um, a TikTok live at the same time as recording this and then that way right. two platforms as opposed to just the one. Love but, it. Yeah. Hey, where do you guys normally buy your stuff from? Is it garage sales? Is it thrift shops? Where, whereabouts is that? Uh, so the clothing, mostly from, we call them thrift stores because we're so tied up in the, the thrifting, American. reselling American community, but obviously they're called op shops here. Yeah. Um, all the clothing from them, you mm -hmm. very rarely will find much clothing at garage sales, but all the other type of stuff we get, uh, we buy DVD, big DVD bundles of like four or 500 at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, that sort of stuff from Facebook Marketplace. People just want to move stuff really quick. They don't want to wait to hold a whole garage sale. They just want to list one or two items. Um, so clothing, uh, op shops for clothing and then garage sales, local weekend markets, mm -hmm. Facebook Marketplace. For as well hard as, goods and media. As well as wholesalers. So during lockdown, we couldn't go to op shops because nothing was open. So there's a bunch of uh, wholesalers in Australia and overseas that just have huge containers full of secondhand goods. So what happens is, in America, like the op shops here overrun with stock. They just can't keep up with the amount of donations that they get. And a lot of it ends up going into landfill in third world countries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And obviously America's the same at like a much larger scale. So what people do is just buy um, storage containers full and full of stock and get them sent over here and then uh, bundle them up. So they'll just sell a hundred pairs of Levi's as one bundle as a wholesale bundle. So that's another option that we were doing during lockdown to get clothing stock in. It's just buying wholesale you do pay a lot more per item, but you don't have to spend all day driving around. It's delivered to you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, op shops or thrift stores, yeah. uh, garage sales, weekend markets, Facebook marketplace, mm -hmm. uh, wholesale. wholesale. And then we also do a little bit of just buying and selling just toys and stuff like that from mm -hmm. Kmart while they're on sale and selling them yeah. just a little bit of a little bit of arbitrage stuff like that. Yeah. Not It's a bit of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also... Um, we've been lucky. I have like a couple of friends. So like you, and it's okay. You just ask the people around you. Like if you're spring cleaning, just want to get rid of stuff. If you're just going to chuck it out and you don't want to, you can't be bothered with it. Just give it to me. I'll sort it out. I'll pay you back in like coffees. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we managed to get a couple of clothes, comic books and stuff out of it. Yeah. It's just, you know, cause they just can't be bothered. Yeah. So we can be bothered on their behalf. Basically what we do is we're opportunists. So we'll take advantage of things that are priced too cheap or take an opportunity like or people that are too lazy or don't have the time to like go to the full effort of list it themselves so mm -hmm. we're just i guess just taking just filling in that we're gap just bottom feeders yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're just filling in that gap for the people that just don't have time or can't be bothered yeah. mm. i want to hear about this Kmart thing so i think i've seen somebody else do oh, probably a year ago i can't remember where yep. i saw it but they went around and that i think it was instagram but they like scan the barcode and having a look and if it's like more on ebay then they'll buy it and then put it off on ebay is that what you do or 
Yeah, uh, they call it retail arbitrage. Yeah, so um, it's, it's way bigger in the US just because you have so many big Walmarts and so many big supply chains here. We only have, you know, Big W, Kmart, Target, mm -hmm. uh, and they all generally have the same types of stock. But you can do it here to a, a smaller degree, but it's, it's probably 1% of our business realistically. Mm -hmm. um, but a simple way to do it is if you can just, you could just go into the Lego section, for example. Um, you just want to see what's on sale. If there's a 40% 40, 40 off ticket, you can, like I said, in the eBay app, you can scan the barcode directly and it will bring up that item and it will have a list of ones that are currently for sale. So it might be $60, 50, 60, 60, 70. But that doesn't mean that's how much it's sold for. That's just how much someone's asking for that. So you can swipe across and hit sold and see exactly how much they're selling for. Um, and then you can say, okay, it is selling for 60. It is selling for 65. Okay, on average, it's $60. And then if the Lego thing you've scanned is on sale for 30, you can sort of work out, okay, 30 plus the fees and eBay and plus the post, how much profit am I left with? It might be $10. As a, is that enough return on investment for my 30 to be worthwhile? So it's sort of, you just got to know how the numbers and the fees and the postage works. Um, and then, yeah, again, you're just finding an opportunity. They've marked the price down and you've done the effort of seeing that it sells for more and then you essentially just buy it and then list it up and sell it. But it's a, a really big game in America because you can buy that stuff and send it to Amazon in America. It's called FBA, Fulfillment by Amazon. And Amazon holds all your stock for you and then delivers it once it's sold. So people just go drive around all day in America, buy hundred sets of Lego, for example, send them all to the Amazon warehouse and then just sit back and wait for the sales to roll in. But you, you can do it here, but it's, it's, it's a much harder, much harder for sure. Yeah. You just have to wait for those premium sales. So big W would have like the big, big toy, toy sale, sale or like the black Friday sales, boxing day sales, things like that. And there's also like great support apps or groups and stuff that you can join that will let you know when maybe a particular Lego set is ex uh, like expiring soon. So they're not going to make it anymore. So that means the value is going to go up or you have some groups to be like, Hey, this particular thing's on sale at this place. Yeah. Anything with a barcode you can do arbitrage on. I've known people that go to Bunnings and just find something that's like reduced to clear mm -hmm. and you can scan it and see if people are selling on eBay. And if, if they are, then you can do arbitrage anywhere. Chemist warehouse. It just, it just depends where, yeah, you, where you are. Beauty products, anything. It just, yeah. It's just what you're interested in. We just like toys for retail, retail arbitrage. Cause it's a little bit more exciting. It's fun. Sarah, do you want to start doing this with you, Drew full time? Yeah. Do you? Do I? <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm already doing it part-time at the moment. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy my job quite a bit. Eventually in a couple of years time, when we have everything settled, I'd really love to start working for myself as well. Um, yeah, but at the moment, I'm really enjoying the place I'm in and the work that I have. It is quite challenging. And I know that in a couple of years time, we've got this pre-established business. So if I want to leave or if I want to do something else, Drew's already set this business in motion and I can literally step in and we can do it times two. Yeah. And I, I do have to say, like, I'm very grateful that Sarah's uh, allowed, allowed me to leave my job and pursue this because definitely you're not making, not making as much money as you working a full-time two IC job, but it's about where we can be in two years. That mm -hmm. That's where the payoff is going to be. It's not the paycheck every week now. It's about where we're going to be in two years. And then, yeah, if, if you feel comfortable with that in two years or mm -hmm. three years, um, I'm happy to have you in the, in yeah. the business. <laughs> well, it's, it's more like I'm I'm setting up the present and Drew setting yeah. up the future. So it's like this good partnership a, that we have going on. That's way to think about it. Yeah. I like it. Hmm. 
So, how, what have you got like a bedroom that you use for all your stock? You just <laughs> uh, a whole house. house eh? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, we do in the beginning. Um, so, we lived in a one bedroom apartment when we first started reselling, yeah. and all our stuff was probably in like four tubs in this little closet that we had. And then we needed to grab another tub that it started coming out of the closet and then we're like we need to move yeah (laughs) so then oh we also had like a puppy and stuff at the time as well so like we need to go somewhere a bit bigger backyard more bedrooms room for expansion yeah exactly so then we moved into the place that we're currently in now and it was almost too much space so we had things in heaps of different rooms and we weren't consolidating at all and it wasn't until probably the beginning of this year we um refreshed our house and we refreshed the space it was in, redid all the racking. So now we have one dedicated room for it. We also have a video yeah. that we released early yes. in the year about it. So we just have like one great spot for it. And then everything that's unlisted, we keep out of that area and pop it in the garage. So nothing gets confused. Yeah. So it's basically one bedroom dedicated has five just normal Bunnings racks with eight tubs on each. So what's five times eight is 40, mm-hmm. um, full of clothes. And then we have the wardrobe just with all the DVDs um that we have as well just organized so you can just run through and grab them uh but essentially one store holding about two and a half thousand items mm-hmm. um and then yeah we've got another rack in the garage and a second bedroom we can expand into um but we a lot, a lot of other resellers will pick up a bunch of everything video games and uh vcr players and toys and you end up with a bunch of random objects of different sizes and shapes and it's very hard to organize them. So that's why we enjoy doing predominantly clothes because you can just fold them up, get a big plastic tub and just get 50 to 60 items stacked in the tub. They're all really neat, easy to find as well. Um, so that's a bit of an OCD thing as, yeah. as well. We like having it all organized, but yeah, essentially one big bedroom full of stock. Oh, here you go. So what's your best flip and your worst flip? Oof. <laughs> it's like a classic the classic question yeah. it is. um the worst flip's hard because there's nothing i mean the worst one was probably we bought a fake pair of those nike lebron shoes we probably lost yeah. about 60 bucks on mm-hmm. that was a big big learning curve it um, was when yeah. you asked about bootleg and authenticity before shoes is probably one of the hardest ones especially like nike basketball player related shoes heavily heavily faked mm-hmm. um that would be our worst one mm-hmm. there's a lot of little sales you just lose a dollar on here and there just because you're trying to clear out the stock but the shoes would be the biggest um loss loss mm-hmm. the biggest win i, I want to say it's probably maybe like a vintage tea that we had we've mm-hmm. had like a really good like women's handbag that i think sold for like 200 dollars so like a handbag and like a jumper here and there, uh, like a, a designer hoodie here and there for like 250 ish. Mm-hmm. We don't sell anything in the thousands, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> our best flip recently, we, we sold an NFT for 500 bucks yesterday that cost us nothing. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Not eBay related, but still like a still a flipping, a still a flipping related. A hustle thing. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, the most memorable, probably like we got a really cool Mambo Loud shirt Ooh. that sold for like two fifty that we paid like six dollars for. That They're always cool. everybody's always on the hunt for a Mambo shirt, like the vintage, vintage ones Mambo in the reselling shirts. community. Yeah. You sold a couple of good basketball cards as well. Basketball cards do well if you get good yeah. graded ones at the right time of the season and flip them. Yeah, yeah, that's another passion project of, of Drews as well. It's a bit of everything. Hmm. What tell us more? What's that NFT? Just a what was that? Uh, NFT is a non-fungible token. So it's basically uh, a Are very simple way. Are you familiar with like cryptocurrency at all? 
I bought like some Telcoin just because one of the guys at work said it was a good investment, but I don't know, I yeah. just chucked a grand into that and just left it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't know that much about it, but I've heard people talk about these NFTs, but I don't actually have a clue what they are. NFT is basically just, this is like a basketball card, right? Just a standard basketball card you can buy in a pack. Yep. The NFT is sort of like a digital version of that where you can show the whole world that you own it because all the information stored on what they call the blockchain or the or just like a, a new type of like internet. So basically you can buy, like I can have this, but you don't know if I own it. You don't know if Sarah owns it and I'm just holding it here. There's no way to prove ownership of this item. Yeah. With NFTs, it's basically a way to prove that you own something online. And it's like, it's a whole 20 hour discussion to get into. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's it's first sort of got popular digital, with the it's art. digital art. Yeah, it's digital, digital art. art. And a lot of people liked it because if you buy and sell this digital art, there's a signature every time it's been sold. So you've got the history of the digital art. So it can't be, it's non-fungible. So you can't make, make it up copy. or anything. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all unique. Um, if you're selling something that's worth like a thousand dollars, you'd be able to look up the history to see exactly where it was, where it was made, who's owned it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... But yeah, long, long story short, we, we bought these um, NFTs called Dog Pound in like June. Mm -hmm. um, and because we owned one, they send us free things every now and then. Uh, and we got really lucky with the ones we got. And so, some are worth more than others. So they're sort of ranked. So they'll release 10,000 of this dog image with little variations. And then depending on what variations you have, some will be considered more rare than others, which determines the price. Uh, we just got a basic one and mm -hmm. it, they're, they're the lowest price is like four five hundred dollars um so that's like a whole different world outside of ebay the the cool thing about that is you don't have to store it you don't mm -hmm. have to pick and pack it mm -hmm. the transactions done instantly because it's all just like cryptocurrency related um but yeah it's essentially like we sold like a piece of art on the wall but in a digital form this yeah. is a simple way of thinking about it yeah that's a good way that's a good flip that's yeah. a good flip <laughs> can you print that and put it on your wall you can. So you can. if you, you own it, you can, you have rights to it actually. So you can create a whole brand around it. You can create pillows, sell the pillows. Um, the difference between them all, like I said, is the variation. So for example, you might have a, a sailor hat and the funky sunglasses. A funky sunglasses and a purple shirt. And then one might not have a purple shirt, which would be worth more. And that it's, it's a whole, it's a huge world to get into. Um, luckily in lockdown, I spent a lot of time learning about that. Yeah, well, uh, that but was... you can you can print you can turn it into a full blown business. There's people. One of the biggest ones is called the Board Ape Yacht Club, and I think they're worth hundred thousand dollars each now or something. People mm -hmm. have twenty or thirty of them, but people are making brands based around their character that they have. So they'll make a beer company, um, and it's just their logo. It's it's a whole world of art and like ownership and royalties. I think you'll see in the next five years. Um, like musicians releasing NFT versions of their music. And if you own one, you can get royalties for any time that music's sort of played. So it's royalties and art and sort of the internet all mm -hmm. mixed into one. Yeah. And some of the big fashion brands like Nike are getting into it, yeah. which is really interesting. And it's all attached to the metaverse as well. So all these NFTs that people are creating, you then can create real estate within the metaverse. You can create like animations, videos. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's just, it's, just the beginning like it's only really starting to grow in popularity but i think it was march or something wasn't it when it really started to do that Start momentum so year, it's still yeah. it's still really really new so it sounds like the lockdown was actually a good thing for you drew so yep. what 
tell us how it's affected you. You've already touched on a couple of things. It's made yep. you like study more into different things. I'll let yep. you talk. <laughs> yep. No, a hundred percent. Like obviously a tragic time for a lot of people, a lot of separation, a lot of loss, job loss, fam like family member loss, all that sort of stuff. Fortunately for us, none, none of our family members or close friends or anything got sick or anything like that. But yeah, the first couple of weeks of lockdown were tricky being fresh into the business and having all this momentum and week after week, it's getting bigger and more sales and more sales and then sort of just comes to a halt. Um, and NFTs was something I was mildly researching prior. So it was sort of a good um, good timing for sure in terms of I didn't have heaps to do. I was waiting to, every week was like, when are we coming out? When are we coming out? The news was changing every day. So it was hard to find any routine or just find something to, to grasp onto to like get me through those three months. Um, and NFTs like consumed me for sure. I was reading a bunch about um, just stock market investing in general. So yeah, it was a huge learning opportunity. Definitely tried to upskill in as many areas as possible during that time. So coming out of lockdown where we're at now, we can go straight back into the business, but now I've got four or five other plans for future income streams that I've already got a leg up on that people that, weren't stuck at home for three months, didn't have the opportunity to learn that. Um, so super, super grateful. And for me, it, I, it was, a, I'm, I'm grateful for the last three months, for four months, for sure. Yeah. And you drew as someone that just needs to be, or just needs to be doing something always. You're not someone to be idle. It's not, no. he needs to be busy. He needs to be challenged constantly as well. And then I saw when lockdown was sort of happening and you couldn't source, you couldn't, you know, do everything that you normally did. You're, you had probably like a week adjustment to be like, what is it that I can do to really refocus your mental energy? And then you just deep dived into NFTs and I'd come home from work and he'd be like, like bombard me with all this new information that he's found out. And it's just yeah. like, it's mind blowing. Like it's just so much in there, but definitely you twist it into your advantage. You didn't let lockdown make you step back. Like, yes, it put a hold on, our, or on your eBay business, mm. but your knowledge like you're saying, just, you know, in three years time, it's just going to pay off. Like that three months is not yeah. almost worth it. In and saying that we should also have a side note, if you're looking at doing NFTs, it's super risky. Like crypto mm -hmm. is risky as it is. NFTs are super risky. We had a small chunk of change we had to play with. We got very, very lucky on our second sort of purchase. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I don't want to say the number, but it's a lot more than what we have in savings or anywhere else right now. Mm -hmm. um, but the other 10 or 15 we bought afterwards have all been complete duds and yeah. we've paid 200 and now they're only worth 80 or a hundred. So yeah, like we got super lucky. We haven't actually cashed out on them yet. So it could all go to zero in the next half an hour. Like we haven't, <laughs> we haven't any realized gains, but it's more just a learning curve, uh, meeting new people in the space, trying new applications and programs and just thinking about what we can do to engage with the space or create our own nft or anything in the future it's just even with facebook changing to meta now their their whole thing is going to the metaverse and to the digital world and real estate so this is just a whole another part of that um and to just get like a leg up at the start was beneficial but yeah don't go, go put your money straight into nfts it's i would say spend a month researching the projects that have failed in the past ones mm -hmm. that are successful um because there's more scammers in that space than probably most other spaces on the internet. So yeah. for sure, do your research. Keeps into crypto. We're, and we're not financial advisors or no, anything. We're all, no, no. no. We're all just self-taught. Like, but we, the money that we put in initially is money that we're, 
um, prepared to lose if need be. Like that's, yeah. So it's very volatile, but it's fun though. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of what to you're going to go are you going to do the stock market or are you going to leave that alone and go nfts and crypto well we we invest in yeah so we have spaceship at the moment which is just like a chill investing app so it does the investing for you it's one of the more safer options just because they have it spread across you know so many different like areas yeah. yeah um so we do that we do want to do a little bit more um i was gonna say proper investing but just the more heavy I guess, yeah, we use Spaceship for like just smaller weekly transactions and mm-hmm. then ETFs is like the safest bet. Um, and crypto, we, we play around in a bunch of different things and that we're interested in, like new technologies and stuff that are coming out. Like, for example, there's one that we really like and pay attention to that is trying to remove carbon from the atmosphere. So basically their mission is to plant, uh, I think they, just did, they signed a new deal across the Maldives in India and a bunch of these third world sort of countries to plant a million trees um, to capture more carbon out of that atmosphere. And basically what they plan on doing is the amount of carbon they catch, they can turn into carbon credits and then companies can buy carbon credits off them to, to uh, basically minimize the company's carbon footprint. So they pay to say like, okay, we've, we've covered the cost of those a million tons of carbon or whatever. Yeah, it's like a um, version of carbon offset. Carbon offsetting, but we're invested in the company that's doing the sort of planting. So it's sort of stuff that we're passionate about and we um, want to invest in the future with our money and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But it's not nothing too crazy. Yeah, but also being like environmentally focused, we know that the cryptocurrency, yeah. the NFTs, they use so much energy, energy to be yeah. able to mine and create and all that kind of thing. So it's nice to see that some of these companies or corporations have this secondary environmental aspect to them or some will have like charity initiatives just to sort of offset that balance in a way so we are sort of conscious of that which is but in terms of the stock market we don't trade or anything like Mm. that um swing trading to a degree i might buy and sell something within a couple of weeks but nothing nothing too crazy a couple of hundred dollars here and there just stuff we can afford to lose but yeah, hopefully the nfts we can maybe buy a house with next year yeah we'll see how we're we still go. we're still newbies in this space and we're learning every single day like the i don't think we'll be able to learn everything within a year it's just so much that's out there yeah but it's just i think just because it's new it's exciting yeah yeah it's different that's what i like about nfts it's just different compared to anything else like it's a you are investing yes it is volatile but it's just something that you actually get to see as well it's not like some chart that you see rising or going down, you have like this picture that you get to And there's at. communities that have the same thing and you chat and you come up with ideas and form partnerships. And it's a, it's like I said, it's art with community mm-hmm. and like Anal- analytics. Analytics. It's like the best combination. <laughs> oh, cool. We've basically hit our time. Hey, where can awesome. people find you guys online? And- All right. So we're on Instagram. So basically think of us, we have two brands. We have the Drew and Sarah personal brand, and Mm -hmm. that's the thrifting lifestyle travel, a bit of food stuff. And then we have the look mom, I'm hustling, which is our sort of sit down podcast chats, which we're doing this room. Mm -hmm. So you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah. It's Drew and Sarah. So just spell out it's Drew and Sarah. And then our podcast is called look mom, I'm hustling available everywhere. We post pretty much every day. We do new videos multiple times a week. Mm Mm-hmm. And always here, if anyone wants to get into eBay or NFTs, happy to give give our advice and or any opinions to help people get started for sure. Yeah. Oh, awesome stuff. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Did you have fun? Yeah, awesome. it was a, 
we don't really get to chat much about this side of things very often. Like yeah. we are very much in the reselling community. So it's like always eBay related, but people already know our story yeah. in that space. That's so actually kind of nice to get like an outside perspective. And yeah, you ask questions, be like, oh, I never think about it that way. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Oh, awesome stuff. Oh, thanks for coming on again. Um, yeah, so let's wrap up there. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a wrap. I'd like to thank Drew and Sarah for coming on the show again. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening. Please tell a friend about the podcast. Have a fantastic day. All right, bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone.